Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. It's the Kansas City Royals 1, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I appreciate you sticking with me through last episode. I know that didn't sound great. It wasn't great circumstances for recording the opening day podcast, but baby's doing good. Everybody's doing good. We're back home. We're back in the home studio. Baby's taking a nap. So I'm here to talk baseball. And I got to admit, it was kind of a it was kind of a boring game yesterday. It was a I mean, the Guardians are really starting this season off with two two kind of clunkers and uh you know running on about three hours sleep as you can imagine uh i even dozed off i think in the maybe the third fourth inning there because it's just a four o'clock game in the middle of a saturday afternoon how could you not doze off a little bit in this one we got Plesak on the mound. We've got, you know, Royals making great defensive plays. We've got Guardians that are, frankly, striking out a little too much. So there's a lot to talk about here. Let's get into the details. Let's get into the storylines of the game. And probably the big storyline of the game is the Guardians couldn't make it work in extra innings. The Royals were able to make it work in extra innings. And... We're going with the, you know, the runner on second base rule again this season. Again, they say it's to save arms. These games aren't going 16, 17, 18 innings. Well, it works here. It absolutely works here to end this game right here in the 10th. Would Classe have gotten out of the inning, you know, in a normal situation with no runner starting on second? We'll never know. You know, that's what the rule is designed to do. End these games quickly. So, the Guardians put up, you know, frankly, they put up a decent effort in the top of the 10th, right? Ernie Clement shoots one up the middle. Monacy makes a great stop on it. The uh, runner, who I believe Owen Miller was pinch running uh, for Familio Reyes there on second base. Owen Miller would have easily scored if that ball goes through. Clement beats it out. A hell of a hustle by Clement to beat it out at first base. And uh, that brings up Oscar Mercado who, frankly, shoots one down the left field, you know, would have shot one down the left field line if not a great stop by Bobby Wood Jr. So two great defensive plays from the Royals' defense keeps them in that game. So uh, they're able to get Owen Miller out at the plate, and, you know, it's, it's a heck of a defensive play. I mean, frankly, Bobby Wood Jr., Gets nothing on the throw, throws throws it into the dirt, puts whatever he can on it after making an incredible stop. I mean, they don't call it the hot corner for nothing. And Owen Miller just, you know, it was kind of a normal slide, maybe with like an A-plus slide, like one of those swim move slides head first. Maybe he can get around the tag from Salvador Perez, but with just a normal foot first slide, there's nothing he can do. There's no way he can adjust to the tag and he gets swiped before getting the home plate. So it's not like the Guardians hitters did anything wrong, right? Clement's shot probably gets through. You know, I wonder what the hit probability was on that. Well, frankly, it only had a 290 expected batting average. I would have thought that was a little higher. Clement's exit velocity was 97.7. Oscar Mercado's was, I thought he hit the ball harder than this. StatCast has it only at an 80.1 mile per hour exit velocity. Didn't that look like a harder hit ball to you? And they only added an expected batting average of 160. So I guess I had more th- confidence in that ball getting down the left field line than StatCast did. Uh, with Bobby Witt Jr. kind of playing in at the bag, uh, he's able 
to uh, snag that one and get it home. So it's tough going for the Guardians there in the 10th inning. And then in the top of the 10th, Classe gives up back-to-back singles, um, gives up a 106.7-mile-per-hour single to Hunter Dozier, and, uh, and then Alberto Mondesi gets it done. First pitch swinging, by the way. They did that to Anthony Ghosh, too. They were sitting dead red fastball on our flamethrowers right here. And a Ghost tried eventually to uh, start an at-bat with a slider. He ends up throwing it in the dirt. But Ghost is definitely going to need a little more of that. And Class A, too. First pitch sliders just to get them off the fastball a little bit. Because these guys were sitting dead red fastball. And they were putting some good swings on it. Some hard swings on it. So they're able to get it done in the 10th inning. They drop two hits in. They get two line drives and get it done. So that was the big storyline of the game. Obviously, the ending and extra innings. Anytime you got a walk-off win, kind of a big storyline. I guess the other big storyline of the game would be the pitcher's duel between these two guys, Plesak and Keller. This is not the first time Keller has gotten into a pitcher's duel against Guardians pitching. I went to look at what he did last year against us, and he was in a pitcher's duel with Tristan McKenzie last year, and the only time he faced Cleveland. And I think both guys had nine strikeouts in that game. And going back and looking at that game, trying to remember what was memorable about this game. Oh, yeah. It was the one with the crazy little big league play at third base where Daniel Johnson, and I forget who was coming from second, both end up at third base at the same time. And Salvador Perez tags both of them out. And Terry Francona loses his mind, gets ejected from the game. One of the crazier plays you'll see from the 2021 Cleveland season. And yeah, that was the game Keller and McKenzie dueled each other. Bobby Bradley actually wins that game with a walk-off home run. Uh, Yeah, a walk-off line drive home run to win that game to right center field. So uh, a fun ending to a crazy play by the Royals, which, you know, you think the momentum would swing in their favor after that. But that was last year. This is this year. We got Plesak going against Keller. Keller lasts a little longer in this game, goes six innings, gives up only two hits, no runs, one walk, and five strikeouts through 69 pitches. You know, obviously, keeping an eye on how many pitches these guys are throwing, gave up five hard-hit balls. Plesek, on the other hand, goes five and two-thirds just underneath him. Three hits, no runs, no walks, because that's something Plesek does very well. Three strikeouts, 70 pitches, and he was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. So hard hit a little bit more than Keller, but but he's able to throw up those zeros on the board. I thought, frankly, it was a good start from both Keller and Plesak. Um, they really, really controlled the game. Uh, the only guy that, frankly, was given the Royals pitching any bit of a hard time was Stephen Kwan. I mean, that's the third storyline of the game. Kwan goes up to the second spot in the lineup when, frankly, all the fans saw it. Like, we saw it yesterday. We're like, this guy needs to be at the top of the lineup. Absolutely. And I get what they did by moving Ahmed Rosario down to the five hole because Ahmed Rosario had good swings yesterday, had some good swings and a hit today uh, in this game. And Ahmed Rosario gives a little bit of protection behind Fermil Reyes, frankly, better than Bobby Bradley does right now. Bobby Bradley is struggling to open the season. So Ahmed Rosario does give another good major league hitter down there and extends that lineup a little bit, right? Extends the part of the lineup you have to worry about just a little bit longer with Quan up in the two-hole. And with Zimmer gone, I mean, Quan is going to be out there every day. I, 
Quan could get 500, 600 plate appearances easy this season as a rookie. This guy is going to be in the running for rookie of the year. He is that good. He's on base three times yesterday, including a double, a hustle double. Uh, was that in the ninth inning that he gets that hustle double? Just a fantastic job all the way around. Yeah, it was the ninth inning. Frankly, it's something that Jose Ramirez would do, right? Drops one in the left center field and just is on his horse from the crack of the bat. That's the influence that Jose Ramirez could have on these younger players. They've seen Jose Ramirez do that how many times, right? A, I'm calling it a, a Sunday softball double because that's what happens in old man softball, right? You bloop one in and you just hustle it out for a double. That's what Jose Ramirez does all the time. And Quan picks it up and does it in the ninth inning and gives the Guardians a chance to go up in the ninth inning. Unfortunately, Ramirez and Reyes behind him can't drive him in. Quan gave them trouble, and he's going to... I mean, that is a great setup to the lineup. Frankly, I see this eventually flipping. I actually see Quan leading off and Straw hitting second, maybe, as the better combination. I think Quan actually sets the table a little bit better than Straw does. And Straw, I think in an interview, I think in one of those spring training interviews, says he actually likes hitting with guys on base more than the base is empty. So does moving down to the two-hole into a little bit of an RBI spot or where he can keep a rally going, maybe do better for Miles Straw and let Quan just focus on getting on base, getting on base. Everything is all about on-base percentage with him. Someone uh, tweeted out on Twitter the uh, the clip of uh, oh the money ball with Brad Pitt where they're like, why do you like this guy? And he points at, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. That's right, Jonah Hill. He points down at Jonah Hill, and he goes, because he gets on base. That is what it's all about with Steven Kwan. And uh, yeah, so that that's prototypical leadoff hitter right there, right? It's perfect. So let's see if that, getting him up into the two-hole was a great first step. Let's see if eventually that flips, and he's up in the one spot where Straw and Ramirez and Reyes all have a chance to drive him in. So back to the pitchers, because that was the storyline we were talking about here. Plesak and Keller do a good job. Keller really does a great job working the strikeout. Let's go to the player breakdown and see what Keller was throwing to get all those strikeouts. Uh, Keller went with a lot of sliders, 23 sliders, 21 fastballs, 15 sinkers, and 10 changeups. And frankly, had pretty good CSW numbers on his top pitches. CSW, we're over on StatCast right now. CSW, if you weren't with us last year or you just don't remember... It's called strikes plus whiffs. It's the percentage of all the pitches that are either called strikes or whiffs. So basically, it's a measure of how good those pitches are at getting strikes. And the slider was a 30% CSW. Fastball was a 33% CSW. You want to be a good is probably around 30%. Great is if you're touching like 40% with one of those pitches. Uh, The sinker at 27 and the changeup at 10. So... Uh, it's not like one pitch was absolutely dominant, but uh, Keller does a good job to rack up those strikeouts. For Plesak, uh, he threw his fastball the most, 28 times. Frankly, something we're going to talk about Plesak here, his fastball has not been historically very good, and yet he throws it 28 times in this game, by far the most. He goes change up 19 times, goes slider 17 times, and curveball 6 times. The best pitch as far as CSW goes was the curveball at 33%. Um, yeah, he just wasn't getting a lot of strikes. He wasn't getting a lot of whiffs, frankly. Only a 22% swing and miss rate. Uh, so not getting a lot 
uh, but making inducing weak contact, maybe getting a lot of outs. Uh, so it wasn't a huge dominant strikeout performance from Plesak, but he was definitely putting in the work and getting the job done. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into Zach Plesak because, frankly, there's something about him, right, that's just hasn't popped off the page the way, you know, Quantrill did last season or the way Bieber did in his Cy Young season. There's something about Plesak where anytime you're thinking about maybe trading some pitching depth, right, for some outfield help, you the Angels come up all the time because they're always looking for pitching. They had a couple of top prospects who were outfielders, and it's always Plesak's name that you'll see, uh, you know, a writer or a fan throw in there as a trade idea. Like, oh, well, give him Plesak. That's the pitcher that's expendable. And I was thinking, why is that? And there is something just kind of unremarkable about Plesak on the mound. And I think it's because his fastball has been really bad throughout his career. So on StatCast, they have this thing called run value by pitch type. And basically, it's a measure of how good that pitch has been, right? Uh, Based on things like weighted on base percentage, slugging percentage, whiff percentage, put away percentage, right? It all goes into the run value of that pitch. Now, you want this as a pitcher. As a pitcher, you want this to be a negative number. For example, his slider was a negative seven. One of the top uh, sliders in baseball. Not the top top, but it's it's a red number, which means it's leading you know towards the top of the charts there. Uh, the curveball was minus four. The changeup was minus four run value. So decent with his off-speed stuff. Last year, his four-seam fastball was a plus 18 run value. One of the worst fastballs in the entire league. So yeah, that four-seamer was pretty brutal for him last year. And, you know, he went to it a lot, and it wasn't very successful uh, in the game yesterday. So we'll have to see how that four-seam fastball does uh, throughout the season, if it's something that he worked on, maybe. I mean, when you see a plus 18 and a deep blue, meaning it's one of the worst in the league, you know there was something wrong with that pitch. Something just not right with that pitch. So we'll see how the fastball plays as he goes into this season. I mean, 2020, in the 2020 season, Plesak was one of the top pitchers in baseball. I mean, hard hit percentage, 74th percentile. For these percentile rankings on StatCast, you want to be in the top. You want to be in the red, in the top. If your numbers are in the blue towards the bottom of these rankings, not very good. Hard hit was 74th percentile in all of baseball. Expected weighted on base percentage, 75th percentile in all of baseball. Expected ERA, 75th. So you can see pretty good stuff here. Chase rate was in the 90th percentile, getting guys to chase after pitches. Walk rate was the 99th percentile. He barely gave up a walk in 2020. Now, this is the shortened season. Now we go, so there's a lot of red numbers here, which is good for a pitcher in the percentile rankings. We jump to 2021. So much blue, deep, deep blue numbers here. K percentage, eighth percentile. Expected uh, on expected weighted on base percentage, the 33rd percentile. Expected batting average, 28th. Expected slugging, 19th percentile. Really, really bad stuff here. That chase rate falls to 46th percentile. The only thing that stays elite is the walk percentage. The walk percentage stays in the 86th percentile. So, Plesak did have... 
some big struggles last year. And that's kind of why his name always, even though he still, you know, his standard numbers were still okay. He finishes the year 10 and 6 with a 4.67 ERA, a 1.2 whip walks hits per inning pitched. You know, okay counting numbers there. The percentile rankings show he was not very good in 2021. So I think he's a little bit unremarkable compared to Bieber and Savali and Quantrill and McKenzie. And I think that's why his name gets thrown out there for possible trade uh, bait to get an outfielder. I was shocked he got the number two spot in the rotation and that didn't go to Savali. Frankly, I thought Savali looked really pretty sharp in spring training. And instead, he's going to be the number four pitcher. I don't know if it was a matchup thing or what. But uh, yeah, Plesak goes out there and he delivered, though, as the number two starter, right? Put zeros up on the board, did his job, and the Guardians offense just could not get it done. Now, the Guardians offense has been ice cold to start the season. Yu Chang is whiffing at everything. Someone else called that out on Twitter. I think it's like 9 of 15 pitches he swung at, he's whiffed at, um, or 9 of 15 pitches he's seen he swung and missed at. Um, It's something really bad. And yeah, I think it's just frankly a case of some of these guys are trying way too hard to start the season. I feel it from the bottom of the lineup. I feel it from Bobby Bradley and Andres Jimenez and Yu Chang and Austin Hedges. Hedges strikes out three times in three at-bats yesterday. And you could feel it that they want to be a hero. They want to come out of the gate hot. And they're 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 trying too hard. Especially Chang. Not being patient at all. Chasing really, really bad pitches. And he knows it. Because they're check swings. They're not even full swings. He's, you know, chopping at it. It would be a sword on Pitching Ninja. Chopping at the ball. His swing mechanics look fine. He's just not being patient and, you know protecting the zone a little more. If he goes up there today with the attitude, I'm going to protect the zone. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for that pitch to come into the zone and crank it. I think Chang will be okay. I think so. I know everybody on Guardians Twitter is ready to toss Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang aside. And frankly, they realize they're stuck with Austin Hedges. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. La Vestita is going to get a start, right? In the next two days. He's got to. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how long of a leash Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang get before Josh Naylor gets back. It's going to change things. Before Nolan Jones gets healthy, he might change things, right? Before Arius is crushing the ball down at AAA and forces things at second base or shortstop. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, but yeah, the offense is absolutely ice cold right now. And Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't panic yet about the offense. We're two games. Two games into the season. There's a reason we play 162 games in baseball. Because it is about large sample sizes. You can absolutely suck in April and May. Jose Ramirez has done this before. Been absolutely dreadful in April and May. And by the end of September, he's an MVP candidate because you can get that hot during the summer months. And this is something the Guardians, the Cleveland franchise, historically does. 2020, they sucked offensively in April and May, kind of got hot around June, and the offense took off around June. 
2020, I didn't bother looking at. 2019, they sucked in April and May. The offense gets going in June. Went back to 2018. Now, I know by this point, 2019, 2018, it's a completely different baseball team. But the point stands, they sucked in April in 2018. They actually got hot in May. That team took off in May. So uh, that was a World Series contending team at the time. So yeah, historically, Cleveland kind of sucks offensively in April and May. Kind of heats up as the summer heats up. Can the pitching keep them in it? So far, yes. They just haven't been able to get the big hit and get the job done. So don't panic. Please do not panic on any of this stuff. These ridiculously small sample sizes. You cannot judge a player from the first two games of the season. You can't. Let this thing go a little bit. Just enjoy the games. Enjoy the matchups. Enjoy Stephen Kwan's defense out in left field. Even Mercado made a sliding catch out in left field. And when you see these guys making great plays out there defensively, it really makes you think about the whole Ahmed Rosario in the outfield experiment. Like, for as unnatural as Ahmed Rosario looks out there in the outfield, Quan and Mercado just look at home. They love chasing balls down. Straw two love running down balls in the outfield, making diving catches, sliding catches. And then you see Ahmed Rosario break back on the ball, and you go, yep, that's not an outfielder. Even Josh Naylor, when he gets back, watching Naylor break back on a ball, you're like, oh boy, that guy, that guy's probably not an outfielder. So yeah, will Naylor come up as a first baseman or will he come up as a right fielder? That is going to be interesting. You know, are you going to take a bats away right now from Stephen Kwan or are you going to take a bats away from Bobby Bradley? So it's going to be interesting to see what they do when Naylor comes back. Uh, but great defensive play from Stephen Kwan in this game. All right, that is all the storylines of a game. Hey, what else can you say about a one nothing game with uh, when it's six hits to five hits, right? Not much. Pretty boring game, and the Kansas City Royals come out on top of that one. The other big news out of Guardians camp that we have to talk about is Miles Straw gets locked up on his uh, his first big contract, five years, $25 million, plus option years, I think of $8 million for 27 and 28. So Straw is locked up to be the center fielder in Cleveland for a long time. And that is good news because we have not had a center fielder, I think, since Grady Sizemore. It's been a long time since we've had a set player in center field, a guy we can count on, we can rely on, that we like out there in center field. And Straw was, I mean, frankly, we got him for a relief pitcher from Houston, right? We barely gave up anything for Miles Straw, and now we've got a pretty good center fielder, a guy that maybe can win some gold gloves one of these days. Now, what is it about Straw, right? What about Straw is you know so attractive to the Guardians? Well, I can tell you in 2021, uh, his expected batting average was in the 64th percentile. His uh, walk rate was in the 71st percentile. His expected weighted on base percentage is weirdly in the 25th percentile for a guy who got on base a decent amount. Um, yeah, his expected weighted on base percentage, where they take in the factors like ballpark and all these things, uh, was actually kind of low. I'm, I'm surprised by that. But um, he doesn't strike out a lot. He walks a lot. He gets on base. That's what you get offensively. The thing about Miles Straw and the reason they locked him up is what you get defensively. 
This guy, his outs above average was the 97th percentile. His sprint speed was in the 96th percentile last year. Uh, looking at some of the defensive metrics over here on uh, StatCast, um, they have this thing called outs above average. Uh, they have it kind of broken down. So there's the expected catch percentage, there's the actual catch, perc catch percentage, and there's the catch percentage added. And so far in his career, he has always been in the positive for the catch percentage added, meaning he's always run down and caught more balls than are expected to be caught of a center fielder. So that is good news. The other fun thing about Miles Straw, and I went to the Major League leaderboard last year on Fangraphs, because Fangraphs has a, does a little bit better, I think, with the advanced numbers when it comes to defense. So they have this thing called range rating, right? How good is your range? And this is all players, right? I looked at all players in 2021, and the top of the leaderboard for range rating, number two, Miles Straw, right behind Michael Taylor from the Royals and sandwiched between two Royals, Taylor and Benetendi, who came in third. A 6.8 range rating for Miles Straw. Taylor blows away the field at 7.9. And this is not just outfielders. This is everybody. Marcus Simeon was the top infielder when it come to, comes to range rating at 3.9. Guess who was tied with him? Or they got him in seventh place. Jose Ramirez of your Cleveland Guardians. Number seventh in the league in range rating. The only two Cleveland players at top to crack the top 30. So that's what you're getting. When you go to the UZR, if you see this, this is ultimate zone rating. This is one of those stats where they combine a few different things into one metric that kind of encompasses your total defensive value, right? It's kind of like your defensive war, the UZR, ultimate zone rating. And guess where he comes in? Miles Straw comes in at third, right behind Matt Chapman and of, well, not of Oakland anymore. It was Oakland in 2021 and Michael Taylor in uh, Kansas City. So at 8.6 UZR. And uh, the other guardian on here, Jose Ramirez was 10th at 5.9 UZR. The only other guardian to crack the top 30. So that is what you are getting by locking up Miles Straw. By the way, both those guys, both our top defensive players, are now locked up to long-term contracts. So that is some good news there. So yeah, it's, it's fun news out of Guardians camp. I mean, we spent months destroying the Dolans for not spending a single cent. And most of those complaints, still valid. But at least they went out and they've locked up Ramirez, Straw, and Classe now. We all made jokes because there's been this like arbitrary deadline that a deal has to get done by opening day for a lot of these players to sign long-term contracts, right? Ramirez wanted it done. A judge out in New York, it was a big storyline out there. He wanted his done by opening day. That didn't get done. Look at that. Please, uh, not please, Zach. Straw gets a deal done the day after opening day. Oh my God. Two days after opening day. Oh my. Oh, how did their agents figure it out? How, how did they figure out how to work their phones after opening day? I get you don't want these things to be a big distraction as the season drags on, but is it? If your agent is doing everything behind the scenes and just checking in with you periodically being like, hey, what do you think about this? Is that really that big of a distraction to the rest of the team? There's absolutely no reason the judge can't get a contract done with the Yankees right now. And we'll see. Are there any other contracts there that the Guardians are willing to get out? I know Fermil Reyes is a name that's been talked about a lot. Uh, you know, Savali, Bieber, any of these guys, Quantrill, do they want to lock them up? 
for a little bit of time. So we'll see. We'll see if any other contracts come out in the next few weeks for Guardians players. But Straw, congratulations. You got your money. You're set up now. You don't have to worry about arbitration. You are going to be a Guardian for a while. And frankly, we're happy to have you. You're a heck of a center fielder. So those are the big storylines yesterday. I think that is everything I've got for this Cleveland baseball morning. Hey, if you haven't bought any show merch yet, we've got some really cool t-shirts over at clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. We got we got the new I'm a Morning Person t-shirt. The official fans of Cleveland Baseball Mornings podcast are the morning people, and now they have their own official t-shirt. Plus, just wear it ironically. Hey, maybe your uh, your significant other is someone who is not a morning person. I might know a little something about that. Get it for him ironically, right? I'm a morning person. Kind of works for anything. Uh, but it is the official sh- t-shirt of the fans of this show. So go over to clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com to check it out. Shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs. You can get the, lo- uh, the logo on anything. I'm a morning person coffee mug. Kind of a cool coffee mug to have in the collection. So show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts and gear. And it is in the show notes. Uh, So just whatever app you are on, scroll down to the show notes and you can find the link there. So go ahead and check those out. All right. The final again from Kansas City. It's the Royals one. Guardians nothing on a really boring game. Coming up today, we've got a 2 o'clock start this time. And it's going to be Quantrill getting the start against Bubik for the Kansas City Royals. So... Can Quantrill keep the good pitching going for the Guardians? And can we, frankly, finally get some offense going off of a left-handed pitcher? So we'll see. We'll see if the righties in the lineup have a little more success with a left-handed starter on the mound. All right, that's all my thoughts. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.